those are the big hairy monsters that people encounter is like, wow, there really wasn't much of a team. There really wasn't much of a system. Hey, podcasters, welcome to Leaders in Living Rooms by CDF Capital. I'm your host, Sean Morgan, bringing you access and insights to leaders and their stories. Welcome, episode two with Carrie Newhoff. My goodness, is this for real? Somebody pinch me. New succession paradigms. And listen, we're going to talk about a few issues nobody else is talking about that are controlling issues around succession, transitions, and how new leaders are leading forward. Welcome. Let's roll. All right, Carrie. It is great to have you here interviewing a world-class interviewer on uh, episode two for Leaders in Living Rooms. Thanks for being here. Great to be with you again, Sean. Thanks for having me. It's a joy to be on your show. I love what you do. I really do. We get to hang out a bit, which is fun. Appreciate it. Enjoy every minute of it. So as we talk about transitions here, you've got some things in your own story and you've got an incredible vantage point on the church in North America. And so I just can't wait to focus in on that and hear your voice on that. But Let's start out a little bit about your book last year. Didn't see it coming. Talks about burnout, talks about cynicism. And I would love to hear from you just a little bit about how that led you to the realization around age 50 of stepping away from the lead role at the church you had planted, Connexus. It's an interesting connection. Um, I think your leadership has to be continually renewed. And so a decade into my time as a lead pastor, this optimistic guy, me, I'm very optimistic. That's my wiring, uh, have become very cynical after a decade of church leadership and also hit a really pretty intense period of burnout in my own life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've told that story. I told it and didn't see it coming. I've told it in other forums, but, um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting because I think it's very difficult, Sean, to know how well you're doing as a leader if all the conditions aren't right. Mm-hmm. And I led as the lead pastor of Connexus Church and the predecessor ministries here for mm-hmm. 20 years. So for two decades. And I felt a very, very strong calling to ministry when I was sort of cynical and burned out at the end of decade one mm-hmm. and then recalibrated, as I've told the story in the book and elsewhere, you know, that, okay, you can reclaim your optimism. I got healthy. I started to thrive again. And it was interesting because it wasn't ultimately cynicism or cinnamon, cynicism or burnout that, that led me out of the lead pastor role. And, and mm-hmm. I got to that even keel. I got to that healthier emotional place. Mm-hmm. It was more, I think, now looking back on it, because that yeah. was almost, uh, what well, was four years ago this fall yep. that I, I shifted out of that role. I think it was a calling thing. But it's really interesting because, uh, you know, no matter what you're doing, if you're cynical and burned out, you're not going to love what you're doing, no matter what it is. You could be, you could be CEO of your own company. You could be lead pastor of a church. You could be a automotive detailer, you know, washing cars, which is mm-hmm. a really fun alternate career I've thought about. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. Like pick your dream job. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're, you could be retired, frankly. And if you're cynical and disillusioned and burned out, you're going to have a miserable time of it. So it was two distinct things. There was a period of burnout and there was a period of cynicism, but I still felt really, really called to keep going in ministry. I just had to figure out, okay, how do I get healthy enough to to be in that place? Mm -hmm. But then a decade after that, when I stepped out of the lead role, I was actually fairly healthy. Mm -hmm. I just felt called out of that lead role and I had begun to grow tired as Jeff Brody and I talked about with you yesterday when we spent a day Mm -hmm. together 
you know, Jeff said, Hey, Carrie was getting tired of the day to day. And I was, I was tired of the day to day. I had led this for 20 years. And even though I wasn't really burned out, I wasn't cynical. I was pretty optimistic. I was tired of meetings. I was tired of all the details, tired of the minutia. And we had a great time. And it's like, okay, well, I'm pretty healthy, but that's probably a sign that something's shifting and someone with more passion for what needs to be done needs to take over. And so we jumped into the succession conversation. Wow. Who was the first person to notice that in you? Was it Jeff? Was it an assistant? Was it your, was it Tony, your wife? Ah, that's a great question. Was it you? I don't know. I think it, I think it might've been me as weird as that sounds mm. because I, I do leak. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not very good at masking my emotions. Probably me and Tony. It would probably be, mm. I, I was coming home. I remember I had day long meetings. Now I do not, I'm not a fan of meetings. I was, you know, in my new life as CEO of my own company and, mm-hmm. you know, founding pastor here, uh, I was just talking to Sarah, my assistant, who, you know, on the way in mm-hmm. on a phone call. And I'm like, how many meetings do I have tomorrow? Blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> the meetings don't go away. But I remember going through a series of meetings when I was lead pastor and I would come home almost every Tuesday. Tuesday was just stack to stack meeting day. I would lie on the couch for an hour mm. and it was basically recovery. And it wasn't like a good recovery. It wasn't a restorative. It was just like, Ugh, the grind. Tuesdays. That's not good. Mm-hmm. That is not good. You need to have passion for that. So I started to notice that. I started to get irritated with the details. And then I think certainly the church wasn't paying a price yet, mm-hmm. but Sarah, for sure, my longtime assistant, she started to notice, okay, you're getting really frustrated with the details. Wow. Jeff would notice. There are others. So it was my like inner circle mm-hmm. that would start to notice. And man, you got to be careful because the organization, the church cannot you pay in a season. It's like, yeah, I had a bad month. I had yeah. a bad October. I had a bad February, whatever it was. We all, we all have those. Yeah. But like long-term, I could see that I was making adjustments mm-hmm. and, and that was not going away. Yeah. And when you're making adjustments and that's not going away, that is not a good sign. Yeah. So what sort of advice do you have for that lead pastor out there? That 49-year-old, that 54-year-old who maybe feels some of those same things as they look out and go, do I have enough in the tank? I've never thought this thought before, but do I have enough in the tank to get to the finish line for me, wherever wherever that is? And they're beginning to realize they need to wrestle with that question. Two words, pay attention. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Um, leadership's hard. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what you're doing. Uh, you could quit today and become an accountant or a lawyer or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever tomorrow, leadership's hard. It doesn't matter what field you're in, but you really need to pay attention if your passion is waning. Mm-hmm. And then I would say is get yourself in as healthy a place as possible because sometimes you're just tired. Mm-hmm. Like when I was burning out, I was just tired. When, when I was burning out, I was exhausted. I, I, I had lost motivation, mm-hmm. but the call was still there and the call was strong. So when I got healthy, all of that came back and I had a lot of passion for the day-to-day, for the ministry. But then when I was in a healthy place and that started to wane, you really need to pay attention to that because eventually uh, the church starts to pay a price yeah. for that. So I would say really pay attention, try to get as healthy as you can, maybe take a few weeks off, go mm-hmm. see a counselor, whatever you need to do, go see a spiritual director, okay. talk with a few close friends. Mm-hmm. And like if you're recalibrated, 
I forget what I, I wrote. I wrote the book this past summer and I forget it's in uh, edits right now, what I called it, but it's like, you find your baseline. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. You got to find a baseline. So mm-hmm. what is your baseline? So I know my baseline. I know what I feel like. What, 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 who are you when you're rested, when you're eating properly, when there's a bit of margin in your schedule, call that your baseline. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, on a bad day, we all suck. Right. Can yeah. I say that? Yeah. <laughs> on a bad day, we all stink <laughs> on a bad day. Guilty. It's like, Right. Like, you, okay. That's a bad day to never make, never make important decisions on a bad day. Yeah. But okay. Get, get to your baseline. You're mm-hmm. well rested. You're eating properly. Uh, you've got some margin in your schedule. You're recalibrated to the point where you can say, okay, I have a clear lay of the land here. Mm-hmm. I can see clearly. I can feel I'm as healthy as I get. Mm-hmm. Now, how am I doing? Mm-hmm. Do I still love the day to day? Do I, am I, am I running out of gas? And then if you're running out of gas, pay attention because that is not going to get better. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying, okay, well, I just got to psych myself up for one more season. Like, no. And I would talk to friends about this and I had done this for two decades. So I don't know. I started when I was 30. So the two decade mark hit for me at 40. I have this theory. I wrote about it on my blog called the theory of the 10 year run. Mm-hmm. And I think if you think about most musicians, for example, uh, they really have a five to 10 year run where all their hits happen. And uh, the Beatles were kind of that way. Mm-hmm. They, they're 1963, 1970, the Rolling Stones, you're saying, well, they're still playing. Yeah, they're still playing, but nobody's listened to anything they produced Not after 1981. Yeah. yeah, that was it. So yeah. it was basically a 15 year run, mm-hmm. which is pretty good actually. Mm-hmm. But you look at most, you know, you look at the Doobie Brothers, you look at, uh, you know, if you go back into the seventies, but a 10 year run, You can go into the 90s, Blink-182. You start to think about Justin Timberlake. He's still around, but all of his hits happened within this this five to 10 year run. What is that? I don't know. But I started to think about my own leadership and it seemed to happen in five to seven year cycles, this Mm -hmm. 10 year run. And I would have to renew myself. So when you look at our history, we are in historic buildings Mm -hmm. that were part of the Presbyterian Church in Canada. We sold them. That was five years. Then we moved into an elementary school. That was three years. Then we moved into a brand new building. That was mm-hmm. four years. Then mm-hmm. we started over again as Conexus. We were in the theaters. That was a long run. That was eight years. Then we moved into the broadcast location. We built that and mm-hmm. I got out. Yep. And so there was constant reinvention in that. And now, you know, I'm pretty engaged with the podcast I do and the books I write, speaking I do, et cetera. Uh, but I can even feel phases. My company is five years old. But like we kind of moved into, no, we're building something this year where uh, I hired more staff. We're working on it, not just in it. We're not mm-hmm. just responding to what's happening. We're, we're strategizing and planning for the future so that we can help more leaders. Well, that was yet another five-year run. And so I think, I think you are constantly reinventing yourself mm-hmm. as a leader. Mm-hmm. But what you have to do is like, uh, if you just like, okay, you, 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 so let's say you, I'm kind of rambling here, but let's say you're starting on year one and you're like, okay, what are you doing? I'm learning the ropes. Like Jeff Brody, my successor, he's in year four now. So year one and two was like learning the ropes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've been here for a while, but now I'm the lead pastor. Ah, what do I do? Right. And so you have that. And I, I had that. And then you're like, okay, I'm starting to settle into a rhythm at year three to five. And then you're still making experiments. But by about year seven, you, you know, everything's in your is done the way you want it to be done. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, so then what do you do? That's where I think if you're really going to be innovative, you have to reinvent. 
that's where you're like, we got to challenge the status quo because what will happen is after year seven, you will, or roughly, I mean, whether it's year five, six, seven, eight, doesn't really matter. But let's just say for argument's sake, year seven, what will happen is you start to settle in and the status quo works. It's like, we're going to do more of this. We're going to continue to do this. But then eventually the growth levels off. And after the growth starts to level off, you're like, okay, now what? And you don't really want to rock the boat. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get into stagnation, plateau, decline. That's where you get bored with your own job. Mm -hmm. That's where you're like, gosh, I've done this for so long. And you don't really know. But when you look at it, yeah, it's because you haven't actually engineered any change in the last couple of years or five years or Mm -hmm. 10 years or 15 years. And you enter the slump. And, you know, you feel like you're slumping before the organization. The church feels like it's slumping, but eventually that percolates through the entire church. And now you're not growing. So you've got to honor, this is what I wrote down here. Uh, You got to identify the season and honor it. You have to find enough rest before you make decisions. In other words, you cannot make permanent decisions under short-term duress. I always tell people never quit on a bad day. Never Never quit on a bad day. day. Quit on a good day. Yep. Right. And you're allowed to quit. Just do it after you prayed after you've had wise counsel, after you and your spouse are on the same page, if you're married, after there's agreement in your inner circle, like quit on a good day. And I'm not telling people to quit, but like don't quit on a bad day. Most people quit on a bad day. Yeah. So somebody goes through this, they get some advice from peers and mentors. They, they find some margin and some rest. And is there a, a different way of looking at the paradigm that maybe they got through their entire ministry into their late 40s, early 50s thinking, I'm going to take the lead role until I retire. Is there a different paradigm now like yours that senior leaders can look at when they go, no, I don't feel called, right? I feel potentially in this next season, I may be released from that call, Mm -hmm. but what do I do? What's my role? Is it here in this church? That's a very, that's a conundrum. It's a confusing conundrum to enter into. It's a great question. Do you feel called or do you feel trapped? If you've been doing this for a while or you're in your late 40s or your early 50s, you know, do you feel called or do you feel trapped? Uh, Honestly, a lot of leaders I talk to off the record will tell me they feel more trapped than called. I've done this. The joy's kind of gone. I don't know what to do. I can't afford to retire. What else am I going to do? I'm in ministry. I have no actual skills. I say that as a pastor, right? Like, what what am I going to do? And so you end up feeling trapped. And I think what can happen in a, in a, bad scenario is that you, and I saw this all the time, Sean, when I was a young leader in my Mm thirties, I would look ahead two decades and I would see a whole bunch of people who are at my stage now in their Mm fifties and they had stopped leading years ago, years before. And they were just kind of going through the motions. Just coasting. They were coasting. They were phoning it in. Uh, They had lost all passion. They had lost their vision. And I thought to myself, man, I'm never going to do that. But now being at that age, oh, I get how that happens. I understand. Because you think, I'm so passionate. You know, you're 31. You're like, I'll never, like I'm doing this forever. Mm -hmm. And so you try to do it forever. Hey leaders, real quick break here. If you're finding this podcast insightful, all these first set of our episodes are around succession transition, particularly how new leaders lead forward after the baton pass. And we do something very unique in this space. We have a group of cohorts that meet typically in groups of six to eight people. And we travel around and have behind the scenes leadership discussions, primarily in people's 
living rooms about their transitions. And uh, you get to journey with peers, exceptional peers. You have a coach embedded in your cohort and we have access to world-class mentors. If you're interested in this, check it out on theascentleader.org. But then you realize, oh no, in your late 40s, you feel differently than you yeah. did in your early 30s. So I think you have yeah. to be really careful because they were trapped and they're totally. like, I can't afford to retire. Where else am I going to go at 55? Mm -hmm. how, how, where else am I going to get a job? I think I got to ride this thing out until my years of service mm -hmm. and my, uh, what is it, my age add up to the pension if there is a pension or I just got to work as long as I possibly can because there is no pension. Yep. And then at that point, the church is serving the leader. The mm. leader isn't serving the church. Mm. And that is a huge problem. That's a church killer. It's a church killer. It's unfaithfulness. Like unfaithfulness. that is that is not what the church is about. The church mm. is not there to serve your personal needs. It's the opposite of where they started in giving their life to the church. Yeah. And now the church kind of gives its life to you because you haven't got a life outside of the church. Mm. That's it's, it's, you know, when you say it like that out loud with your out loud voice, it's like, oh, that's so <laughs> awful. But that's exactly what's happened in way too many cases. And I did not want that to be me. Mm -hmm. And I think I probably like, honestly, I, I left the lead pastor role at 50. I said this to you yesterday at our one day. I think I could have done it another five years with some like kind of, okay, I'm signing up for another season. Cattle prodding. Yeah, a little bit of cattle prodding. And I could have found some more vision. Mm -hmm. But we had Jeff Brody at the time and Jeff's a, a gifted leader, as you know. And I thought this is the opportunity. And Jeff was 40, I was 50. I'm like, if I'm Jeff, I'm not waiting around till I'm 45 or 47 to see what Newhoff does. I'm going to mm -hmm. go find my own thing to do. And so we passed the reins to Jeff and he's been doing a great job. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit yeah. here. As you look across the landscape of, of church transitions uh, and your vantage point is absolutely incredible. Uh, you see these transitions coming, you see them happening, and you see them in, in the season, maybe after the baton pass. What do you see that you like? Oh, I see people having the conversation more honestly, openly, and earlier than they used to. Mm -hmm. So I see that. I do meet a lot of 30 to 35-year-old leaders who are taking over, who have a lot of passion and who maybe have to grab a mop and a bucket for a season and clean up a mess that was left to them. But they're actually renewing the church for the next generation. I've also seen some really good successions mm -hmm. where the predecessor has actually done a really good job of setting up the successor mm -hmm. and where they have a great, healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And I hope those form uh, you know, a, a model for the future. I also see, and I try to do this here at Conexus, but predecessors who, who would say, this is not, you know, in my case, the Cary Preservation Society. Got it. The church should be different. It, mm -hmm. it, it, should, it should behave differently. It should look differently. It should feel differently. And don't worry about preserving what I built. Worry about creating uh, an enduring ministry for the future mm. that actually reaches on church That's people humble. today. And I'm starting to see that Mission more focused. and more. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that is the game. So there are some good news stories. That's great. How often are, we said this once before, and I think you said, you know, churches can be personality centric, certainly church plants. When the church started, there's nothing but personality. And so oftentimes with a lead communicator, they can be personality centric. Um, how does a church deal with that in transition? Are there, there any 
big hairy beast behind the wall kind of things that you're starting to see that if you can deal with X or Y or Z, it helps solve that problem. Well, I think there's the personality that we all think about when we think about who's the primary communicator, who's the face with the place. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit of the issue. I think that's inevitable in leadership. I think at, at some point, you know, whether you're the, the successor or the predecessor, uh, yeah, people are going to identify you as the point leader, as the face with the place. That's somewhat inevitable. You know, if you're the CEO of a corporation, kind of the face with the place. You know, who's the CEO of GM or Toyota right now, right? Like, mm-hmm. That's, there's an inevitability to that, but you don't, you don't want to make a personality-based system. Now, what I found is there's two kinds of churches. So everyone would say, if you name a church that is well-known, you can think of the senior leader's yeah. name, Elevation Church, right? Yeah. Stephen Furtick. Most people couldn't name Chunks Corbett or some of the other people mm-hmm. around there. You think of Orange, you think of Reggie Joyner. Mm-hmm. You think of North Point, you think of Andy. Life Church, Craig. Now, see, Craig's a great example because he's built a lot of great leaders around there. And I know the names of a lot of those great leaders because I track pretty closely with Life Church. And if something happened to Craig, there are a lot of like really great leaders who are on board. And I'm sure at some of the other organizations that we've named as well, some great leaders who are on board. What I do see often in smaller churches Mm -hmm. is that that personality didn't actually leave a system behind or other leaders behind. Mm-hmm. So uh, what those are the big hairy monsters that people encounter is like, wow, there really wasn't much of a team. There really wasn't much of a system. And you know what's, what's fascinating? Because people look at the mega churches and they criticize them and say, well, that's a one person show, Yeah, right? You know what the real one person show is? The small church. Yeah. If you're, if you're a 300 person or less church, mm-hmm. there's a 90% chance it's a one person yeah, show. No system. Yeah. It's the pat, there's no system. It's a hub and spoke. It's a, yeah, it's a hub and spoke, 100%. So I think the smaller your church is, the greater the danger it is, mm-hmm. even though popularly, yeah. most people would say, well, that's the criticism of the mega church. It's one, all one person. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? Crosspoint didn't fall apart when Pete Wilson resigned. Mm-hmm. New Spring didn't fall apart when Perry Noble left. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are lots of churches that are still going. I mean, Willow is in the middle of a search mm-hmm. after a catastrophic year last year for a thousand different reasons. And 20,000 people still go there and they still have money in the bank. Like there was a system mm-hmm. and maybe it was broken and maybe it needed some help. But like, no, a lot of those larger churches actually have way more built in than people give them credit for. Whereas the smaller churches yeah. struggle with that. That's, I love hearing that as, as you look and, and maybe a listener right now is a relatively new lead pastor or somebody who's yeah. thinking about moving into that lead pastor role. What kind of core tenets could you recommend knowing that every predecessor is going to have really good things that are done there that maybe need to still be twilighted? And how do you honor and celebrate a season and an individual, but yet realize that the season ahead maybe requires more structure than was there? Mm. And so they've got to make some changes in order to sustain ministry or 101 different forms of change. How do you handle honor and respect, which is not only good for that leader to give, it's good for the leader to receive who's the predecessor. And it's incredible for the church to have embedded in who they are. A couple of things. First of all, make the mission bigger than anybody. Mm, so I may have founded this church, but the mission is bigger than me founding this church. It's not mm-hmm. about me. You know, 20 years from now, people aren't even going to know my name um, at Connexus. And they shouldn't because it doesn't really matter. It really doesn't matter. This was never about me. It's about the mission. 
and it's about the gospel. So if you can keep that, and I think that's really helped Jeff and I. Jeff has worked really hard to keep the gospel above everything. I've worked hard, and on my good days, I keep the gospel above everything and the mission above everything. And so at the end of the day, it's not really about Jeff. It's not really about me. It's really about the mission, and our church is on a mission. So I think you keep the mission first, and that keeps your ego in check. It also gets your perspective right, because it's not about creating a preservation society for the founding pastor or the predecessor. Second thing I would say is really honor each other publicly. Mm -hmm. That is so important. And I I think four years into this, I I think I can honestly say with integrity, neither Jeff nor I have ever dishonored each other publicly. Like not even with a smirk in the hallway. Mm-hmm. You know, we have worked really hard. We haven't agreed on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been actually pretty smooth. All things considered, it's gone really well. Mm-hmm. But we we have worked really hard to make sure that those those areas where we are maybe challenged a little bit or we don't see eye to eye, they happen. Actually, we're in Jeff's office right now, my old mm-hmm. office. They happen in this office together, face to face. And when we walk out the door, it's resolved. Or even if it's not resolved, I don't say a word. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't say a word. So I think those two things are really huge. The mission is bigger than all of this and really, really uh, agree publicly. Mm-hmm. And where you have your challenges, process that privately. Yeah. It's a servant heart, stewardship mindset with the mission. With Try the to. Yeah. yeah Cause it's not, it's not, I may have started the church, but it's not actually my church mm-hmm. and it's not Jeff's church now. So that was good. What about things in the church landscape around succession that you, you don't think are going well? Oh, uh, the whole financial conversation. You and I have talked about this quite a bit. Um, That, that, so one of the reasons back to what we were saying earlier that guys my age end up or women staying in ministry longer is because they can't afford to retire. And if you're in a non-denominational context, often there's no pension plan. Uh, There's a very good chance the pastor was underpaid. So they're in a really tough spot and there's no dialogue. I think the dialogue is now starting to emerge in the last few years that wasn't there five years ago. But what happens is you end up being 50-55 going, I don't know whether I have the energy for this or, or the passion for it anymore, but you can't afford to leave and what else are you going to do, mm-hmm. right? So that creates a financial problem. But one of the aha moments as, as I've worked with church leaders, and, and actually this happens in businesses too, where founders, I think 96% of all businesses never make it past the founder Hmm. because yeah, yeah. So it's a human problem, not just a, Mm -hmm. not just a church church problem. problem. You know, employment issues are different than financial issues. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens in the church is that we mix them together and say, well, this person can't afford to retire. So they need to stay on staff for another five years. Well, wait a minute. No, no, no. You just conflated two things. Mm. The financial issue is a financial issue and the employment issue is a, a, an employment issue. Mm-hmm. So maybe they don't need to continue on staff and you can deal with the financial issue separately. And I know for a lot of church leaders, that's probably paradigm bending, but let's say there's a $100,000 shortfall. I'm just pulling a number out of the sky. It's like, oh yeah, we need to save X number of dollars. Well, if you've got a long tenure, I mean, this didn't happen at Conexus. I took a pay cut and we walked away. So this isn't autobiographical, but I'm just like problem solving saying, okay, well, let's say the pastor needs another $100,000 and says, as a result, I'm going to have to work for two more years or three more years to get it or another year or whatever that happens to be in in your situation. But the church is kind of stalled out. Mm -hmm. Why don't you treat that as a financial issue and say, hey, can we get some donors together and create a pension fund or a 
severance fund or a legacy fund or whatever that happens to be. And then you could wrap up in like four months and we'll do it really, really well. But you can separate the financial problem from the employment problem. And so often in the church, we, we fuse the two and say, well, this guy's got to stick around for a decade, even though he's got no gifting or passion for it anymore. So I think you got to separate that. And, you know, hiring is not charity. Mm-hmm. It, it, we, we, we blow that in the church all the time because we're so compassionate. And so you see the 25-year-old who's really struggling to get ahead in life and maybe just, you know, is in a really tough place. And you're like, oh, we'll give him a job. It's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does he have the skills for the job? Is he qualified for the job? Hang on, hang on just a minute. Now, if you want to give him $10,000 to help him out, mm-hmm. that's called charity. Yep. But but we we are actually, you know, we are trying to do some work here mm-hmm. on behalf of the most important mission in the world. And we have to make sure that the people that we retain and the people that we pay mm-hmm. are great. So I think Absolutely. separating charity from work mm-hmm. can really be a helpful way to think about it. Yeah, and what that does to culture when you have people who are not bringing their A game to work on your staff team and how that can replicate. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, and and I think for a lot of people, they have trouble with that because they're like, well, how do, how do I know that the pastor earned it or deserved it? Well, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I tithe mm-hmm. and I want to make sure that my money goes to really good, choices, but like I give to the church and I'm not like calling Jeff every moment going, exactly, how are you paying the staff? And mm-hmm. oh, do you know the lights were left on and uh, in the preschool ministry and that cost like, mm-hmm. you know, you just kind of trust. And it's like, okay, you give away and you give with open hands. Mm-hmm. And then someone else takes that money out of your hand mm-hmm. and it's not yours because you gave it away. Yeah. You gave it away. So maybe yeah. that's just what we do in this give case. We're going to bless you. Yeah, Carrie, you can't work here anymore, but we're going to bless you. When, when in the process, if I'm a 30-year-old pastor, I'm a 40-year-old pastor, and next to me is a 50-year-old pastor, when, when do you begin having this conversation? Do you wait until you're two years out, and then do you sit down with your elders and start this conversation and go, oh, by the way, I've got a 20-year mortgage, and I want to be done in two years? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you start as soon as possible. As soon as possible. Uh, yeah, yeah. They always say in law, and that was my background, mm-hmm. right? Um the best contracts, and I know this is not a contract we're covenant people. I know mm-hmm. we don't, you don't need hate mail on this podcast this early in, okay? But I understand the difference between contract and covenant, but a really solid legal contract uh, begins with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. It's like they say with multi-site, you should think about, okay, well, what happens if you're launching seven locations? Mm-hmm. Do these all become independent churches? And right now there's a very active debate, but you should you should think about that when you launch your campuses. Like, where does this go in a decade or 20 years? What is our plan for exit? And actually you would think, well, that just dooms it to failure. Actually, it makes it a much more productive partnership, right? If you and I were going to start a business together and we've already talked about what it looks like, like what does notice look like? Uh, what if you want to buy me out? What do I want to buy you out? That, that creates so much clarity. clarity. And, and that means there's no conflict. So if we get to the point where we can't agree on the future, you're like, Carrie, I'm going to exercise my option. I'm going to buy you out. I'm like, well, actually, Sean, I'm going to exercise my option. I'm going to try to buy you out, you know, (laughs) or whatever. But it's so much easier than being in the mud of, well, I don't know how this goes. How you, you lose sleepless nights over that. So I think clarity really, really helps. So I would start that early. And what you could do then is even to say, okay, if I'm going to retire at some point, I probably need a pension plan. Well, can the church, if, if uh, you know the American equations a lot better, but the 401k or what is it? The 403? 403Bs, yeah. 403Bs. Yeah. So if I contribute a dollar to that, will the church put in 25 cents or a dollar or $2? What does that look like? Yep. 
Well, nobody had those conversations 20 years ago, or very few did. And I think, as you and I have talked about before, the problem with church conversation uh, compensation is it's mm-hmm. either horrible, mm-hmm. it's really low, or it's weird. Yeah. It's like way too high. Yeah. And the truth should be in the middle. You should get a living wage. You should be paid well for what you do. Mm-hmm. And I think to bring the conversation into that realm where on day one, you're paid well. And that's one of the things I fought for very, um, I think somewhat effectively at Conexus is we need to pay a living wage. Like for all of our staff, I don't want the team that I hired when I was lead pastor to go home worried about where rent was coming from or the mortgage payment or groceries were coming from, or can we afford to put our kids in soccer? That doesn't mean you have to be extravagant, but it does mean, you know what? I just, I don't want money to be a major issue. And the successful entrepreneurs in the congregation understand that. Yeah. They get that. Your healthy people want your church to be paid well. Barna's recent survey on pastors shows that well over half of pastors are over age 55. Yes. I think the average age of a senior pastor is like 55 or 56 now. Yeah. So we were seeing this unprecedented age spike and they're not being replaced by younger pastors. And I wonder how often this mindset of asceticism in ministry and not dealing with some of these conversations in healthy ways has put pastors in a place where the reason why they're not retiring at 62 or 65 or 67 is because personal financial readiness. That now dictates the timeline of a succession transition and the low pay and uninspiring senior leader who's hanging on too long has a tertiary effect on young leaders going, I want to pursue that. I, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, excited yeah. about pursuing that. That like, looks like a great way to spend your life. What What is the domino effect of maybe decades or longer mismanagement in this? And how, how can it be fixed? And what's the timeline to even begin the conversation and see results? I think that's such a great observation, Sean. And I would agree 100%. It doesn't appear to be... Uh, a very attractive, like for me, I mean, you know, I was going to be in radio or I was going to be in law Mm -hmm. and I went to church my whole life, but until I supernaturally received a call to ministry at age 24, it had never crossed my mind to be a pastor. Mm. And when it did, I thought, well, that's kind of a sad life. Like that was my first response as a Christian who grew up in the church. Yeah. And 30 years ago that, yeah. And I'm like, wow, where, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that we're doing a great job of casting vision for the next generation. But again, maybe there's some board members listening. Or maybe, I hope so. You know, you can be the one who starts the conversation to say, what would an emotionally intelligent, healthy board do for their leaders? And one would be pay a living wage, mm-hmm. start talking about the future. And, you know, if, listen, there are leaders who can serve to 65 or 70 with incredible passion sure. and great effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And you can see your church continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there's also times where a leader says, okay, I've done 15 years and I think I've done everything I can do to help this organization, this church into the future. And maybe it's time for me to move on and do something else. And then, you know, one of the, the we live in a really fascinating age where, you can pretty much do anything you want on the internet Mm -hmm. and you can start businesses Mm -hmm. or whatever. And that doesn't have to be the answer for everybody. That's something I did. I backed into it. It wasn't an intentional thing, but just the writing I did kind of took off and the podcasting took off. And next thing I knew, like all these people showed up. So 
what do you do with that? Well, that has become my livelihood now as, mm-hmm. and, and my calling, I think, mm-hmm. as I move into the future. But you don't have to do that. You can just say, okay, well, maybe I can do something else with my life. Or maybe there's a different assignment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a difference between calling and assignment. You may be called to ministry. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I had a two-decade assignment right. yep. in ministry. I think Brad Lominick gave me that language. And now I'm on to a new assignment, which mm-hmm. is to help people thrive in life and leadership. And that includes a lot of church leaders, a lot of business leaders. Love it. And I'm very, very excited about that calling in my life and very excited about still teaching at Connexus. Mm-hmm. I'll always have, you know, I'll always be the founding pastor. Mm-hmm. This is our church whenever we're in town. I love it. But, you know, you get called to a different assignment. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That's not unfaithfulness. Yeah. That's fantastic. I can't wait to see it all play out. Thank you so much for being here, for the transparency, for leaning into the conversation. It's been a gift.